This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm so delighted you're here. I started self-work six and a half years ago because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological issues. Maybe you're in therapy to those of you who are looking for some answers because you're confused or maybe you've just been diagnosed with something, but also to those of you who might be a little skeptical about the whole therapy thing and what it's all about, but you're either curious enough or unhappy enough to be listening here to self-work today. So thank you all for being here. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and as self-work has been named one of the top 10 podcasts for depression by Very Well Mind in 2023, I wanted to focus on depression. I'm pulling from a talk by Dr. Michael Yapko, an expert on depression, as he lists the five most common mental mistakes that people struggling with depression tend to make. Those mistakes can cause depression or can cause depression to be increased and can certainly start a negative spiral that, given the right circumstances, could lead to depression occurring. Like I heard Michelle Obama say to a group of young women the other day, you become what you practice being, and I couldn't agree more. So today we're going to talk about the habit of rumination. What's that? It's when you have one thought, a negative thought, or a string of thoughts that repeat themselves over and over and over and over. I've heard it called a negative spiral or letting myself drown in bad thoughts. It's a terribly destructive habit, and it's usually paired up with the what-ifs or the whys you could ask yourself. What if my parents had been happy, or what if Jenny hadn't broken up with me? Or much more seemingly serious things that you believe rationally or irrationally held you back from who you could have become. It's not that those things weren't true, that the difficulty those dynamics caused were very real, but rumination is when you allow yourself to focus on them when it's not helpful to do so. So, that's the topic for today, and as always, what you can do about it. Our SpeakPipe voicemail for today needs a trigger warning, as it was left by someone who states that she's attempted suicide multiple times. So just don't listen if that's going to trigger you in some way or another. But it is a really important question that she asks. A therapist has told her family that she's only trying to get attention and to ignore her. She's asking me what my advice to her family might be. This is a complex subject, so I'll answer it as simply as I can, and that may not do justice to her question. But she left it several weeks ago, and I didn't want any more time to go by before answering. Before we go on, let's hear from BetterHelp about the services they offer each and every day to people who need good therapy quickly, less expensively, and who can make the whole process much easier for someone considering consultation with a therapist. Twenty twenty two is ending, which was a hard year for many, as they're trying to heal from the impact of the pandemic, and now we're welcoming twenty twenty three with more people than ever needing help with anxiety and depression. The most common problem I hear from those seeking therapy is how hard it is to find a therapist. 
BetterHelp solves those problems. After you make the first contact, their standard is to offer names of therapists to you in less than two days. And you can talk to them in the first session to see if it's a good fit. If so, you're on your way. But if not, rather than going through an awkward call or email, you simply let BetterHelp know and they'll ask what it was you didn't like and find someone else for you. You can text, chat, or talk virtually. All of those avenues are open to you. I'm a therapist because I got good therapy. I know how much of a difference it can make. I reached out, and so can you. Here's BetterHelp's offer for self-work listeners. 10% off your first month of sessions if you use this link. BetterHelp.com slash self-work. There's never a better time than today to reach out and get help. BetterHelp.com slash self-work. So let's talk about this third mental bad habit you can have when you're depressed, and that's rumination. The other two episodes this month have been based also on bad habits. You might want to take a listen to them. So first, what is rumination? The first thing to know is that it's a transdiagnostic symptom or problem, meaning it doesn't belong to just one diagnosis. You can be depressed and ruminate. You can have obsessive compulsive disorder and ruminate. You can have post-traumatic stress disorder or CPTSD, which is called complex post-traumatic stress disorder or chronic, sometimes it's also called, and also ruminate. So even though this is a series on depression, we're going to touch on rumination in both OCD and in PTSD. So let's first look at OCD. I'm going to bring in my virtual friend and anxiety expert, Kimberly Quinlan, to do just that. Her podcast is called Your Anxiety Toolkit, and I'm always referring back to it. She's a wonderful therapist. Rumination in OCD is a compulsion, meaning that it's something you do in order to reduce anxiety or gain some sort of control. The ruminative questions or thoughts are perceived as a form of mental solving and will avoid a worrisome outcome. Now, some people think that rumination is the same as obsessing. It's not when you consider it in the light of OCD. It's more how you're trying to get rid of the obsessing. And to me, that's where this kind of rumination aligns most strongly with the rumination and depression. There's a New York Times article I'm going to quote, and this is a Dr. Marks from Atlanta, Georgia. You find that your thoughts are so excessive and overwhelming that you can't seem to stop them. Again, this is rumination. Or if they're so distracting that you're falling behind on responsibilities at work or at home, that's rumination. Now, not all rumination is bad. When we first meet someone and are falling in love with them, we can definitely ruminate, daydream, fantasize, idealize, and completely lose sight of what's going on around us. Rumination can also be a part of grief, trying to understand and spend a lot of time in thought about why something happened, how it happened, when it happened. Again, as we mentioned earlier, it can also be a part of post-traumatic stress disorder, where events are gone over and over and over, trying to filter through details of this trauma. Trauma Trauma-related rumination refers to perseverative thinking about the trauma and its consequences. And in fact, the consequences may include an individual's PTSD symptoms. 
So what this means is that part of the why questions, how, how did it happen, when did it happen, where did it happen, what if it hadn't happened, aren't only about the trauma itself, but how it's living on in your current life. For example, you can ruminate about, I wouldn't be this way if the trauma hadn't happened. And of course, that could be true. I'm not denying that at all. You would probably be very different if it hadn't happened. But how much do you ruminate about it? How much are you controlling your thinking about it? Or how much time do you give it in your life? Some people feel, for example, that even the term trauma survivor or cancer survivor keeps people defining themselves by their trauma rather than freeing themselves from it. My personal feeling is that this depends on many other factors rather than the words themselves. For example, someone who calls themselves a recovering alcoholic may be using that term not to ruminate about their alcoholism, but to remind themselves that taking that first drink could lead to relapse. So it's a positive thing. I do think that one of the factors that may determine if that term survivor is creating a focus that's primarily on the past, which isn't good, maybe if it's rumination, that's part of it. So are you ruminating about being a trauma survivor or a cancer survivor, or is it just how you're defining yourself? How much time are you spending thinking about the trauma or the cancer treatment or the cancer itself? And how do you feel when you do, re-victimized or realizing how far you've come? Again, it's not a simple black and white issue for me. So, finally, (laughs) we're talking about rumination as a depressive bad habit or mental mistake in depression. First, what's the difference between rumination and worry, both of which can be a part of depression? Rumination is excessive time and mental energy spent on thinking about the past. You realize rationally that there's nothing you can do to change the past, but you spend a lot of time pondering it, again, asking questions about the why or the why not or the what if. Some of this may be fine, especially if it feels more like self-reflection, looking back over your life and trying to learn from past mistakes, realize patterns that you hadn't seen before in your behavior or someone else's. Maybe self-reflection is really the more positive or healthy side of rumination. Maybe, in fact, you spend a whole afternoon doing this, journaling, talking with a friend, and at the end of this more healthy rumination or self-reflection, you truly do feel that something has come to light that was helpful. But... Perhaps the worst-case scenario for this is the chip someone can have on their shoulder, thinking that they were slighted or they didn't get a fair shake. Again, maybe they didn't. But that rumination can easily turn into resentment and a feeling that you're owed something in this world. You're always getting the bad end of the stick. And this less-than-healthy style of thinking can definitely increase the likelihood of depression or a relapse into depression that's occurred before. Again, this isn't to say that whatever unfair things that happened weren't unfair. Much unfairness is unfair, whether it's due to racism, misogynism, religious abuse, financial inequality, LGBTQ discrimination, anything. 
any kind of discrimination. That's unfair, and it's not right. And spending too much time in rumination about it doesn't fix anything. Rumination is not problem-solving, which has much more of a present and future aspect. You can talk yourself into the idea that rumination is problem-solving, but it's not, nor is worry, actually, but that's another topic. In fact, that is the difference between rumination and worry. Worry is focused on the future, rumination on the past. Both can be excessive and simply not helpful. So here are four things that you can do about rumination. First, keep a rumination journal. I've talked before on self-work about a worry journal, and it's basically the same idea. What you do is you journal or write down the things you are ruminating about. Every day, do this about the same time and maybe for 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the most, but you do it each day. And if you begin to ruminate about something from your past when you're not journaling, if you realize you're getting stuck on those why me or what if questions, then jot that rumination down and say to yourself, I will write about that tomorrow morning when I'm journaling or tonight when I'm journaling. And then you do that. You write about that new rumination during your next journaling session. The point is you want to honor what you're ruminating about because, again, maybe you're still grieving it. Maybe you still have anger about it. Maybe you have things that you need to work out. And realizing you're still ruminating about it is a good way to point you toward, I have some emotional work to do. So we want to honor what you're ruminating about, but you also want to corral it so that rumination doesn't take over your entire life and you spend hours ruminating. And again, you might find that the writing helps you move more into self-reflective mode, which is healthier by far. And in that self-reflective mode, again, you can find the emotional work that you may still need to do because you admit to yourself, I can't get this out of my head. Why did this happen? What if it hadn't happened? And maybe you still have some kind of feeling back there that you need to explore so that you can let go of it. Here's number two. When you catch yourself asking the same old questions about the past, distract yourself. I will tell y'all. I made a perfect ass out of myself one time when I was in a play, and I showed up in a state of mind where I was not ready to go on. Now, I got into that state of mind because I'd arrived a good hour earlier, but I wasn't in a good place. And even my fellow actors said, what's wrong with you? And I just made an ass out of myself. I think about that all the time. I pride myself on being ready for things and being prepared for things. And I let something happen that just totally threw me. And I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed. Sometimes when I'm just driving around in my car, I think about that event. So what do I do? I go for a walk. I think, I'm probably the only one still thinking about this. Yeah, I made an ass out of myself. Okay, I can do that just like any other human being can. So sometimes when that plops into my mind again, I do something useful. I call a friend who's been sick. I do something to get my mind focused on something or maybe someone else. You can use distraction It's called thought stopping. I have this thought. I don't want to think about it. So I distract myself. 
It's a great, great thing to do. Number three, you can start counting the number of times you hear yourself say or think, why me or what if? (laughs) Actually, this is kind of fun to do. Start recognizing how often you bring up the past in your mind or in conversation rather than staying in the present. This is a good thing to do. Have you ever had something you're trying to quit saying? For example, I notice in my son's generation, the millennial generation, they often use the term like a lot. And I kind of kidded my son about it one time, and he got almost mad at me because then he began to realize how much he said it. And it made him self-conscious, which I probably shouldn't have said anything about it anyway. But you can catch yourself saying, why me or what if, and realize that what you're doing is you're taking enjoyment away from the present. I'll give you another example. Someone I worked with years ago, let's call him Billy, had two children, one of whom was severely autistic and the other had significant physical disabilities. He often felt completely overwhelmed in every area of his life. He'd been unfairly treated in his job and was having to restart his career. His marriage was in trouble, both of them having incredibly busy jobs and then the kids they had. And Billy got depressed. And I think most of us would agree he had a damn good reason. When he came in initially, he tried to hide just how overwhelmed he felt. He was glad-handing everyone and smiling. But the facade finally broke and he realized just how down he felt, even suicidal. But he also had these tremendous responsibilities, and he wanted to carry them out. So in therapy, he moved from being ruminative to being self-aware and self-reflective. But he used this technique. He said, gosh, I really think, what if one of my kids had been normal? Or what if I'd been able to figure out what was happening at work? You know, he was what-ifing himself to death. So he moved again from being ruminative to being self-aware and self-reflective using this technique. Now, he did go on an antidepressant so that he could have a little more mental space to work with, and he was able to catch his negative thinking much more. So that's the power of movement from rumination to what-ifing to self-awareness and self-reflection, and you get out of feeling like a victim. Here's number four, and there are actually two questions that I think are vital to ask yourself when you catch yourself ruminating. One is, is this really helpful? (laughs) Maybe it is, but likely it's not. Now again, rumination can be part of grief. So if you're grieving that day, call it grief. Let yourself feel it. But grief involves emotions, and it doesn't just stay in your head like rumination does. That's an important difference. So if you stay ruminating, why did my child die? Instead of just saying, I need to grieve today. I'm thinking about it, but without feeling about it. I need to feel about it. The same goes with post-traumatic stress disorder and rumination within it. You want to hook up the thinking with the feeling and not just stay in your head. I hope that makes sense. If you find yourself ruminating, that's not really helpful. And so you can say, is this helpful? And if it's not, you can say, maybe instead of ruminating, I need to grieve or I need to be angry or I need to feel. That's usually much more important. The second question is, what do I actually have control over that will lead me to a healthier state of mind? This is a huge question to ask yourself. It may feel like there's nothing you can control. Let's bring Billy back into the conversation. 
Billy couldn't do anything about being ripped off in the past financially, but he could develop a financial plan that would slowly work him back up to some semblance of hope for his financial future, which he did. He couldn't take away the stress of having two children with special needs, but he could accept the help that others were offering, and he could spend some time alone with his wife so they could process what they were going through together. They wouldn't have hours and hours, but enough time, and that he and his wife did as well. So again, the question is, what do I actually have control over that will lead me to a healthier state of mind? And the other question is, is this really helpful? Am I ruminating instead of feeling? These changes are possible to make. It's harder when you're depressed, yes. But this series is pointing out how your depression can worsen when these mental bad habits assert themselves way too strongly in your thinking. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. Here's the listener's voicemail for today. I want to give, again, a trigger warning for this question. She talks about suicide attempts and her therapist's and family's reactions to them. So take care of yourself. Hi, I have a question for you about suicide. You said your next episode was going to be about suicide and how the rates are growing. I would like to say a few things about that and ask you about it because I have attempted suicide several times and I'm angry at the way a previous therapist has programmed my family into thinking that the way to deal with it is to shun a person who is suicidal and treat them like they are evil and ignore them. I've been in the hospital multiple times for suicide attempts and have been in a coma and put on a respirator and I truly have wanted to die. This therapist has told my family that I'm just trying to get attention and that what they need to do is is just stop talking to me because I'm trying to get attention and that cannot be further from the truth. I wanted to address that and ask what you think is the proper way for families to provide support. Let's make something clear. My first concern upon listening to this young woman's story is to wonder what kind of treatment or help she might need to address these multiple attempts, which sound as if they've had serious medical implications. I obviously don't know what kind of treatment modalities she's considered or been exposed to, but many of the newer techniques are helping people that have this kind of chronic suicidal thinking, and they're treating it successfully. We'll get back to this factor in a bit, but she obviously needs something that will work for her and needs it now. Suicidal thinking occurs for a lot of us. Believe it or not, it does. And in fact, can be considered a normal human response to traumatic or very tough events or experiences in our lives. It's not a sin or a crime. But suicide itself isn't normal, nor are frequent suicidal attempts. It's the suicidal thinking that we can know together and accept is normal. But something's going on here that's scary and painful, obviously for this listener, and we want to have compassion for that. And she's going to need a therapist who's compassionate about that as well. Here's what's more complex. Frequent suicide attempts especially if the person isn't trying to get help, are emotionally wearing on everyone that loves 
the person who's attempting. And in order to protect themselves from their own sense of helplessness, they may be distancing themselves or setting boundaries, which of course can feel terrible to her. Now, she's blaming this on her former therapist, who she says guided her family to shun her and see her as manipulative or seeking attention. She seems to be saying that because of the seriousness of her attempts, that her family must believe that her intent is very real and not manipulative at all. But what she may not understand is that that could be very true and that she has these frequent impulses to die and acts on them. However, the members of her family may not have a clue how to help her. They are demoralized, and that helplessness can look like not caring, but it's often simply helplessness, and again, almost self-protection. I'm not saying that that's not hurtful to her, but that's a very common dynamic. Now, let's go back to my initial concern. What kind of help or treatment is this young woman getting? There are many treatments for people who struggle with frequent suicidal thoughts. DBT, or dialectical behavior therapy, is one and is covered by insurance. Ketamine infusions is another. Usually not covered, but hopefully soon will be by insurance. Transcranial magnetic stimulation is yet another that is covered by insurance, as well as neurofeedback, also covered by insurance. Please look up who's offering these treatments in your community. And many more treatments are coming as we realize how much of depression we don't understand and need to approach it in new ways. If there's trauma in her life, she obviously needs to work through that as well. And EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, is a very effective treatment for trauma. You need to find a certified EMDR specialist in your area. And there are a lot of them, and it's covered by insurance. Medications are often not enough with this kind of serious chaos. So if she's just medicating herself, that may not be enough. So she also asks me what, as a therapist, I might tell her family. First, and this may sound harsh, please know that your family cannot stop you from hurting yourself. I can certainly hear that you're hurt by them and by your previous therapist, and that's not right either. But only you can do this work. Now, if they've been misguided in their response to you, then getting another therapist to tell them so may work better as you move forward and away from your previous therapist who so disappointed you. And hopefully you can find your drive to do all that, to find the kind of treatment that actually is going to help First, through a great relationship with another therapist who can help you explore these treatment options and then find a way to get those treatments. Hopefully, your family will see those efforts. They won't be quite so demoralized themselves. They will understand more that you're trying to do your part. They may even apologize, and you can help one another through this very difficult and complex situation. I want to thank you all for being here. I did want to read a review from Cam K 25 from South Africa. This is for self-work. 
As a psychology student and a former depression patient, this podcast has helped tremendously. It gives me a greater perspective on the practical application of academics and uses methods I can use to ensure I stay depression-free. I've been listening for over a year now. Thank you for your work. Yeah, this won't be seen in the United States because it's from South Africa, but thank you, CamK25. I so appreciate y'all being here. Please tell your friends and your family about self-work as we continue to grow and flourish in 2023. Thank you for being here. Please take care of yourself, your family, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.